Chaos is but unperceived order. It is a word indicating the limitations of the human mind and the paucity of observational facts. The words chaos, accidental, chance, unpredictable, are conveniences behind which we hide our ignorance. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Yep, baby space. Matt, mm. was that Harlow Shapley or Shapley? I think it must be Shapley. I tell you what, Matt, either way, what a quote that is. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Happy obviously. Birthday. He died just as the Apollo missions died back in 1972. Mm. He was pretty old. He had a good innings. He had a good innings and did some remarkable things, as we're about to hear. Here we go. Because he's going to be our... Space Personality of the Week, for it's his birthday. Matt, is that a new feature? Space is it? Personality. <laughs> well, no, I, th- I like to think of it as being a kind of subset of Astronaut of the Week. Or, yeah, you it's know, kind of... Uh, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? You know, it's, it's of a similar vein. Yeah, Harlow Shapley. Um, he was an American scientist and head of the Harvard College Observatory, born on a farm in Nashville, Missouri. Well, I was just going to say, he dropped out of school with only the equivalent of a fifth-grade education, which, Matt, should be inspiring to our younger listeners. It doesn't always... I'm not saying don't study, but it doesn't always matter about results, does it, Matt? No, because... And get this, uh, the, the, the most incredible part of this story is that Shapley wanted to be a journalist and he and he was actually a very very good writer and wrote lots of books and and that's why his quotes are so good but he went to study journalism in Missouri mm. but uh, the school of journalism uh, didn't wasn't going to be opened in time and was postponed for a year so he he just went through the ah. directory and said what am i going to study and he just literally started going through alphabetically rejected archaeology which he said he couldn't pronounce uh, and so chose astronomy. <laughs> I love that, but bloody, what a way to choose your course. Uh, yeah, what do you fancy doing? I don't know, just read them out. Start from the top. What have we got? Archaeology. No, can't say that. Astrology? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> oh no, wait, I said, I said, you see what I did there, Matt? I said astrology. Imagine if he'd accidentally done that. Oh God. I'm assuming, hopefully, it wasn't a course. Um, In line with Mars, today you will meet someone who's wearing red. <laughs> oh, f- <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you know no, what I mean? The worst, the worst, the worst. I've got quite a few friends who believe in astrology. That's the, that's the I distressing thing. I don't understand it. I just... I, un- I understand It's really it. silly, isn't it? Well, it's uh, the human's propensity to see um, agency in coincidence. Let's let's move on. To move on. He um, got a fellowship to Princeton University to work under Henry Norris Russell. Any relation? Uncle Henry. Yeah. Uh, yes, he, he became a bit of a star quite quickly. Um, uh, and his 1914 PhD thesis on the orbits of 90 eclipsing binaries created a, a whole new branch of double star astronomy in one single Whoa. stroke. That's my kind of stroke. We're going to talk about Henry Norris Russell a bit later on in our special feature. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Matt, he used RR Lyrae stars to correctly estimate the size of the Milky Way galaxy and the sun's position within it by using parallax. You know what parallax is, don't you, Matt? Yeah, it's a bit like when you're looking at your speedometer from an angle Mm. and you think that you're only doing 60 miles an hour, but really you're doing 80 because you're just not looking at it straight on. Well, that's my excuse to the police officer that pulled me over the other day. Yeah. Uh, I promise uh, I was just looking at it from, from the right. Uh, but then I, I suppose I shouldn't have been driving from the passenger seat. That that was your error. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't impressed by either. So <laughs> what's funny is that Shapley was part of what's known as the Great Debate or the Shapley-Curtis debate, uh, which um, Shapley was wrong, actually. He sort of said that the Milky Way was just a spiral nebulae um, and that the whole of the Milky Way was the universe. Uh, but mm. Curtis uh, basically said, no, 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 that the Milky Way was, a, uh, was an island universe amongst many. And, of course, he was right. Yeah, he was right. Um, he was right, uh, and it's and it essentially started the whole that whole understanding that we there was more than one galaxy and and that there was multi galaxies all over the place. And, must have been satisfying um, when he was proved right. Yeah, it must have been very satisfying indeed. Well, Hubble was of course involved, and um, and Shapley was very critical of Hubble. It basically Hubble wrote him a letter and said, "Why are you being so mean? Here's the evidence that I've got." And um, Shapley, uh, being a good scientist, said, here is the letter that destroyed my universe. And it went on to fundamentally change the whole scientific view of the universe. That's incredible. Well, at least he admitted it. mm -hmm. Uh, He's done some other cool things. Like in 1953, he he was the person that proposed that there would be a liquid water belt, i.e. the Goldilocks zone, i.e. the habitable zone. So that's Ooh. kind of his idea, the habitable zone. Uh, he put the S in UNESCO, i.e. the scientific bit of uh, UNESCO. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And his son, one of his five children, Lloyd, won a Nobel Prize in economics in 2012. Oh, DL Runs in the family. But weirdly, I'd only heard his name, the Sh- uh, Shapley, because of the um, catalogue of galaxies. So when you're sort of looking up in the night sky and using those apps to try and find galaxies you can take photos of and stuff, mm. uh, the Shapley catalogue comes up, the Shapley Ames catalogue, catalogue of bright galaxies in 1932, 1,249. Uh, well, Matt, what about the, sh- the Shapley supercluster or Shapley concentration? Yeah. Or, Matt, you probably know it as the SCI124, don't you? Oh, big You're time. You're such a geek. Uh the largest concentration of galaxies in our nearby universe that forms a gravitationally interacting unit, thereby pulling itself together instead of expanding with the universe. Check that out. I love those facts because obviously you, you, we're always going on about how the universe is expanding, but of course certain mm. parts aren't. If, they're so, if there's enough gravity, they will be collapsing in on themselves. Correct. But eventually they will still be ripped apart by the expansion of the universe. Well, Matt, you know that he was part of the great debate. You know I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> uh, and I knew exactly sorry. the moment you said debate, I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> so predictable. Oh, dear. Hey, Matt. Yes. 
you know you know what everyone's favorite section of the show is go on hit me what is what's everyone's favorite section of the show well apart from the moment that we say well we better let you go now (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a space word of the week space word of the week i agree that is downloadable as a ringtone um now matt Mm. you're gonna have to pronounce this one i think it's nucleosynthesis am i right you certainly are and it's it's well, not it's not by a roland or yamaha or any other reputable synthesizer company no don't be silly <laughs> matt it's the process that creates new atomic nuclei from pre-existing nucleons primarily protons and neutrons i mean any idiot knows that well basically it's it's how stuff is made like all yeah. the matter in the in the universe is is kind of made like that, but there's quite a few processes. And the reason why I brought it up is because we're going to talk about the sun. In a we bit. are going to talk about in, the sun to, in we great were, depth. We were we were asked we were sort of talking about what we should do on this show, and I got a bit excited about about the sun, didn't I? You did, and I think every every month we should talk about a space thing to remind ourselves about why we want to go to space in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's all very well, us gabbing on about rockets and SpaceX, whatever. The reason that we do that is because of the majesty of the universe. And and we say... You, yeah, or... you can quote me on that, man. <laughs> quote me on that. The majesty. I think I should be the start, the, the quote from for next week. Okay, <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do a quote from J.R. Franklin. <laughs> Is it J.R. Born Franklin? in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or is it J.R. Okay. Right. <clears throat> this is incredible. Within three minutes after the Big Bang, yeah. the first nuclei are starting to be formed. 17 mm. minutes later, the universe had cooled to a point where, where that process was over. <laughs> so it's only in the first like 20 minutes this is all happening. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, so only the really sort of fast and easy ones. So after that, 20 minutes, 75% hydrogen and 24% helium and a few trace elements of things like lithium and, mm. uh, and isotopes of hydrogen, of course. So, and, and pretty much that's where the universe is today. However, there's other ways to make more new, uh, uh, it'd be really boring universe if it was just hydrogen and helium and a bit of lithium it would so it would luckily we have stellar nucleosynthesis which makes carbon and iron and and heavier stuff via a thing called s process then we've got Ooh. explosive nucleosynthesis so things like supernova that generate even heavier stuff and then neutron star collisions that might even create things like gold and heavier stuff still and even things like the black hole accretion disk is such a chaotic place. You get things smashing into each other and creating larger and larger nuclei and and stuff and elements. It's just how the elements are made. What about um, Noel Gallagher, Matt? Was was there any truth in the champagne supernova? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that that made any elements apart no. from idioticus. Ah, uh, okay. All right, move on. Cosmic ray spallation or Ooh. spallation. Basically, cosmic rays are travelling so fast and these balls of nuclei, like 
hurtling through the universe, bashing into things and possibly making lithium, beryllium and pretty much all of helium-3. Do you know, Matt, once when I was at school, my uncle, when I was quite young, my uncle taught me via a song, Mm. the periodic table. And I don't really remember it, um, but I might practice it and, and... Try and sing it for next week's show. Okay, we'll we'll we'll, we'll do we'll have a little uh, sing. But Matt, song. imagine my imagine my upset as I spent weeks learning that song for my science exams, only to find a copy of the periodic table <laughs> on our desks during the exams. <laughs> True story. That yeah, that, gutted. That's what's known as poor exam technique. Still, Matt, I mean, all of the girls that I got from singing that song, eh? The periodic table song. Imagine me with a with a bevy of beauties around my uh, around my arms. Yeah. It didn't happen. It didn't happen, Matt. Well, um, if there was, it would just been because of your sharp good looks. Well, I mean, there's no there's no debate there. There's no mm. great debate there. Mm. Uh, Matt, so our space science thing of the week. Is that is that is that a weekly thing, space science thing of the week? Well, it's going to be now. Okay. What is it? Space science thing of the week. It's the sun, of course. Oh. Now, Matt, your first question to me was, how was she born? How was she born? Well, let me tell you, Matt. Mm-hmm. About 4.7 billion years ago, a giant cloud of gas was starting to swirl. Mm. Mostly hydrogen, as we know, mm-hmm. uh, but also some helium and tiny amounts of metals like uh, 1% oxygen, uh, 0.3% carbon, 0.2% neon, which is my favourite. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a surprising was... one, neon. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? And iron was 0.2%. Uh, but incredibly, the hydrogen and most of the helium would have been made about 9 billion years earlier matt in the first 20 seconds of the universe as you as you said that is ridiculous yeah do you know where the rest of the star stuff came from oh i'm guessing it's stellar nuclear synthesis it certainly is and that was from an older generation of stars long extinct blown into the universe as the stars shed their skin or exploded as supernovae Life breeds life, Matt. Life breeds life. And that gave that cloud of gas a very unique property, which we can see in, in, in the sun. But you carry on. You carry on. Tell me the rest. Well, here we go. The cloud started to spin gently from a disturbance, maybe a shockwave from another dying star. And now that massive cloud had a tiny, tiny spin. And the system started its collapse under gravity. And it all started spinning faster and faster, like an ice skater, Matt, Mm -hmm. with the arms out. When they pull their arms in to spin faster and faster, that's kind of a similar vibe, right? Um, And over the next 50 million years, the gravity pulled and pulled tighter and tighter into this cloud of gas. And under its intense pressure, it got hotter and hotter, causing the gas to ionise into a soup of atomic cores, protons... And neutrons, stripped of their electrons, Matt. I mean, you know this. Mm-hmm, mm. But it got hotter and denser still. Uh, and some of these cores would smash into each other and cause, Matt, what mm. I said last week, mm-hmm. nuclear fusion. Nuclear fusion. That's what fusion. I learned about last week. And I'm, I'm just, uh, Matt, I'm just expanding 
on my point. Get see what I did there. What's great about this nuclear fusion? So you've got this huge cloud spinning, getting hotter, denser, denser, and it's all collapsing in. Gravity's really bashing it around. But this nuclear mm. fusion then supplies a force that kind of balances it out. So that so as it gets denser, mm. the, the nuclear fusion gets more and more and more, and as it gets denser, it gets more and more and more. But then suddenly you've got this outward pressure from the nuclear fusion that balances out the inner the, the, the sort of collapse from gravity, and you're left with this massive ball of plasma at the centre of the once protostellar gas cloud. And do you know what that ball of plasma is called? Uh, no. It's called the sun. Oh, simple as that. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's or, the sun. Or sol, Matt. Or, or sol. Sol. Yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, imagine if it needs that gravity or it would just be a big explosion, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, so yeah, it's like a massive explosion that's held together with gravity and it's, and it's just perfectly balanced. But the incredible thing about nuclear fusion, that balance, it relies on things like Paoli's exclusion principle and stuff like that. It's just outrageous but that's yeah that but, is but that cloud that original cloud that you talked about that's it 99.86 percent of that cloud is now this big ball of plasma at the center of our, well, our Matt, center of our solar system do you know what else you know you told me to do some research on mm-hmm. the sun yes well you you said you said there that it's a ball well it's almost a perfect sphere in fact there's only a 10 kilometer difference in its polar diameter compared to its equatorial diameter. Uh, and considering the vast expanse of the sun, this means that it's the closest thing in the observable nature mm-hmm. to a perfect sphere. That is, Did you know uh, that? Uh, uh, do you know what? I really didn't know that. That is incredible considering it's spinning. And it's... it's... 10 kilometre difference. That's amazing, isn't it? it? It is outrageous. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> considering right and considering right here's another thing i found out which and you know i love a stat about Mm. size matt how many earths do you think you could fit inside the sun and i don't mean if you broke them all down i just mean taking the earths as they are and just and sticking them inside the sun like the sun how many could you sun was a container and you and you wanted to put some marbles exactly that exactly Uh, that don't know hundred thousand Nine hundred and sixty thousand Earths. <laughs> Ooh, I was at least I was in the right order of magnitude. Yeah, you were. Yeah, Six hundred ninety-six thousand yeah. kilometer radius. And Go Matt, on. I'm going to throw. I'm going to ask you some yeah. questions mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what what temperature do you think it is inside the sun? Uh, I don't know. Fifteen million degrees Celsius. Oof. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yes, that's pretty. Incredible. And Matt, yes, here's a true true or false. The sun will one day. Be about the size of Earth. False. It's true, Matt. Ah. After this red giant phase, the sun will collapse, retaining its enormous mass, but but containing the approximate volume of our planet. When this happens, it will be called a white dwarf. Do you know what? I'm going to go into detail in how the sun dies. Now you've told us how, how she was born. I'm going to tell you how she dies. Here we go. But actually, I want to tell you how the rest of the solar system was born, Jamie, because... Oh, my God, we're going deep today. We've used up 99.86% of the gas that was available to make the rest of the solar system. (laughs) So (sighs) what was left, what was left after this thing is spinning. As we know, we've got this massive spinning ball. 
But mm. just like the arms of, of your uh, ice skater that you mentioned earlier, imagine yeah. that those arms are stretched out and they're spinning as well. And that's now a gas that's a disc. It's become a disc because it's spinning out. So, you know, when you make pizza, uh, you spin it and it and it flattens out. Exactly the same thing, thing happened with this gas cloud. It, it flattened out apart from this ball of plasma in the middle. Right. And so you get a disc, and that disc is made of gas and dust and little tiny eddies in that pickup, and all the dust starts to accrete, make little tiny uh, – dust particles bigger and bigger into planetesimals eventually becoming planets ah. so the the four big gas giants uh, make up 99% of that material so they sucked up 99% of that material everything else and i mean everything else all the terrestrial planet, planets that's mars earth venus mercury the dwarf planets so ceres vesta pluto the moons the asteroids all the comets, everything in the Kuiper Belt, everything makes up 0.002% of what was left. 0.002% of what was left. So, yeah, Jupiter is two and a half times more massive than everything else in the solar system combined, if you take out the sun. So the, pretty much Jupiter took the, the most of it. Between Jupiter and Saturn, that's 95, 90% of what was left. So it's just crazy. So, In fact, Jupiter's so big. It's ridiculous. Jupiter's so big, it's kind of really a binary with the sun because the sun moves by uh, over a solar radius uh, because the, uh, yeah, the, the point of orbit between the sun and Jupiter is actually uh, lies outside the sun's surface, surface the barycenter. Mm. And so, yeah, you could consider it a binary in some ways but um yeah that jupiter would have to become 70 times more massive to do what the sun did and that's have that nuclear fusion start in the center my head hurts again so yeah how and the sun's middle age now so it's a roughly about halfway through but we live in such a perfect solar system that that the sun is just about the right size so that it's not too small that it's a bit violent and unstable, like some red dwarfs are. And it's not too yeah. big that it just burns all its nuclear fuel off very, very quickly. So so you say middle age. So it's about what? So we've got, what, five or six billion years left yeah. of the sun? Yeah, exactly. It's four billion years old and we've got mm. about five billion left. Got it. Well, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. It's a G2V star. A main, it's part of the main sequence. So Matt, I don't want to bring in religion mm. to, to the podcast at all. Yeah. But I will say this. Yeah. People who are religious and believe in a designed universe, do you think that they believe that it's just going to keep going on and on? I know it's a long time away, but I mean, come on. We're all going to be dust. <sighs> well, possibly. Everything's well, going to be dust. Well, we've got, we've got, we've got five billion years to, to sort it out. That's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so imagine well, someone saying that to you. Right, we've got to sort this out. How long have we got, Gov? About five billion bah. years. <laughs> five billion years. Oh, oh, do you know how many tons of hydrogen the sun is getting through every second? Oh God, it's going to be inside. I, I, I don't know. Six hundred. Six hundred million tons of hydrogen. Going up in uh, nuclear fusion every second. That's four million tons of matter 
converted directly into energy. And that energy is everything that we have, just everything that we have. And, and what's, that, what, what's that figure in a year, Matt? Oh, God, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge, isn't it? It's big, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh, yeah, the, the, that, that energy takes 10,000 or up to 170,000 years to go from the core, make its way through the star, and eventually escape the sun as light and heat. Oh my God. So do you, do you want to know, do you want to know how the sun dies? Oh, yeah, definitely. So we're talking about 5 billion years. So about 5 billion years, the hydrogen fusion is going to run out of hydrogen. And so it, it, the hydrogen is diminished to the point where the sun can no longer hold up this massive pressure on it. Hydrostatic equilibrium, it's called. It sounds like a Muse song, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, no, don't mention Muse. So the luminosity of the sun <laughs> will have nearly doubled and Earth will be uh, brighter than Venus's. That's the point where, as you said, the sun will expand into a subgiant phase and slowly double in size over about half a billion years. And then it will expand very rapidly over a billion years until it's over 200 times larger than today and a couple of thousand times more luminous. Bye-bye. Mm the rocky planets <laughs> including earth well, matt when we say bye bye the rocky planets how long before that would we just be frazzled uh, i mean forgetting being consumed by the sun but I, but when would we actually all life just go okay we're done it's a, well consumed by the sun it we it might not get consumed by the sun so, so earth's orbit may have drifted away just enough so that the Earth is just outside this um, outer atmosphere of the Sun at that point, uh, I think. So it, mm. it, it's really, really close. Of, of course, it's so bright and hot and right next to us at that point that everything on Earth will be completely fried, even more so than mm. on Mercury. So, but Mercury, Mercury, Venus—they're gone. They are gone. They're, they're done for. Dead. Dead as dodos. Dead. So that starts the red giant branch phase. Now, every time I mention these branches, they're to do with these Hertzsprung Russell diagrams of the Russell that we mentioned earlier on who worked with Shapley. Um, yes. And, and those Russell diagrams have, have been a really, really brilliant way for people to understand how stars work. Uh, and it's just by looking at all the stars that they can and categorizing them in terms of their brightness mm. and their color temperature it's just a brilliant little diagram so these these uh the the sun basically makes its way down ver various branches of this diagram as it changes in its cycle so now it's on the red giant branch phase where the sun will spend a billion years and lose a third of its mass so there's an inert Ooh, okay. at this point there's an inert helium core surrounded by a shell of hydrogen that's fusing uh, rather than the right. core and this inert helium core is just sitting there and then suddenly and I mean suddenly the helium ignites as the helium suddenly goes into a, into nuclear fusion. Oh that sounds dangerous Matt. The helium then gets fused into carbon. And 40% of the sun's mass is converted into carbon within minutes. Bearing in mind oh everything God. else was taking millions, if not billions of years to happen. And then suddenly yeah. we have this 
enormous event, the helium flash, that happens in minutes, which is crazy, isn't it? And then the sun then shrinks down 10 times its, to 10 times its current size, 50 times the brightness, but slightly cooler. And that's known as the red clump phase. <laughs> <laughs> Not as attractive, is yeah. it, the red clump? And then it gets a bit larger, more luminous over the next 100 million years as it burns helium in the core. Uh, then a similar process happens when the helium starts to run out. Uh, so the helium starts to run out, just like the hydrogen did. Uh, but this time, everything happens a much faster, much larger, and much brighter. So that then enters mm. the, the asymptotic giant... Easy for you to say. <laughs> ...branch phase. Easy for me to say. And the sun is alternately burning hydrogen in the shell or helium in a deeper shell. After about 20 million Ooh. years, the sun just starts to become really unstable, loses loads of mass with thermal pulses, uh, and the thermal pulses become larger each time, and the later pulses pushing the luminosity as much as 5,000 times the current level. And then the post-asymptotic giant branch evolution is faster. The luminosity stays approximately constant as the temperature increases with the ejected half of the sun's mass becoming ionised into a planetary nebula as the exposed core reaches 30,000K. Now, I've got a quote from Albert Zilstra of the University of Manchester that says, what we've shown is that the core will be hot enough in five to 10,000 years after the outer layers have been ejected, and that it's quick enough that the sun is just on the lower limit of being able to form a planetary nebula. And, of course, planetary nebulas are a beautiful thing, so eventually our star will create this beautiful planetary nebula. Uh, like the cat eye nebula or one of those kind of things. God, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and then that final naked core, as you rightly said, will become a white dwarf. White dwarf. A white dwarf and have a temperature of 100,000 Kelvin. And you're saying it's, it's, it's about the same volume as the Earth. Absolutely, that's what they say. And it will still have almost 50% of the sun's present-day mass. God, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then 10,000 years after that, the, per- the planetary nebula will have dispersed and the white dwarf will carry on shining a little bit for trillions of years before fading into a black dwarf. Basically, a, <laughs> an, enormous, an enormous black object, massively dense, that you can't even see because it's no longer shining because there's nothing going on that point the universe God is a pretty damn. depressing place in it matt is there a video that we could like a sped up video of all this happening online that we can put up uh, there must there be. must be mustn't there yeah let, let let's let's try let, and yeah, find because i want to put this into uh into visuals into visuals i agree my god uh, that is uh, i can't actually wait to listen to that back because I mean that's ridiculous, what? isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I, I've said that. I've said ridiculous three times. Yeah, the the, the Hertzsprung Russell diagram is really cool because the sun kind of at the moment it's kind of right in the middle and it's on this main la- line of it and mm. uh, main sequence it's called, and then it all sort of make its way into these sort of various other parts of the diagram as all these various changes happen to the happen to the star. And it's a beautiful representation. It's one of those diagrams that you see all the time because it contains so much information and so much useful information that triggered 
all this kind of research and and the way that the that stars work uh and and even now they're adding rarer and more anomalous examples as more and more stars mm. are analyzed and mathematical models considered and you oh, know and and, and they add things like quantum mechanics and classical mechanic models to stellar processes so it's it's just brilliant well matt we we're not going to stop there are we there there is a couple of mysteries about the the, the Here sun we go. So there's the faint young sun paradox. Do you know this one? No, I don't. Uh, there's a contradiction here. So that, that, that when the sun first started, it is getting slightly brighter and hotter. So the output would have only have been 70% as intense uh, at a certain epoch when there's supposed mm. to be liquid water on Earth. And we know that there was liquid water on Earth. Um, and... The, the real weird thing is, is how has the sun and the earth climate balanced to, to such an amazing degree that we've had water on the planet all the time and, and that uh, the climate has been suitable for life, that somehow the, the sun's output and the conditions on earth have always been just about right. You could have easily have uh, ended up with a situation where the water froze or the water was boiled off, or, or but it's it's always balancing out. And so it, you can't just say it's greenhouse uh, effects because the greenhouse gases weren't that abundant at the time that we had, um, uh, that this was going on, because they can mm. check that in the geology. So it's not quite a sol- it's not solved this mystery that was first raised by Carl Sagan and George Mullen in 1972. So it heavyweights. Heavyweights. So yeah, the the faint young sun paradox. Well, there we go. That's the faint young sun paradox. Well, but Matt, have you heard of the coronal heating problem? I have, but you may tell me about it. Well, here we go. It's the temperature of the photosphere. It's approximately 6,000 K, whereas the temperature of the corona reaches 1 million to 2 million K. The high temperature of the corona shows that it's heated by something other than the direct heat conduction from the photosphere. How the sun manages this feat remains one of the greatest unanswered questions in astrophysics, Matt. Oh, it's crazy. But apparently that was first... The, the evidence for that was first discovered during an eclipse in the 1800s. So this, really? Yeah, so this coronal heating problem has been around for a long time. And, of course, uh, that is the reason why they've launched the Parker Solar Probe. It's, it's mm. absolutely its primary purpose is to, is to actually find out what the hell is going on. And it has taken decades and decades of hard work to make this technological feat possible. We're curious primates, aren't we, Matt? We really are. I, I think this is one of the greatest. The, the fact that we've worked out so much about the sun, yet there's all these other mysteries. But we've, but we've, but we're so as apes, we're so brilliant that we've built spacecraft. And this spacecraft, this week, the so the Parker Solar Probe has become the nearest man-made object to the sun. It's gotten closer than twenty-six million miles away from the sun. It's insane. And it did that October the 29th. And it will almost certainly be now the fastest spacecraft traveling relative to the sun at about over 154,000 miles an hour. That's quick. It is quick. And it has to go quick so it doesn't get trapped by the the gravity well of of the sun, which you can imagine is 
It's pretty huge. Its closest approach in 2024 will be 3.83 million miles from the sun's surface. I mean, that is incredible. So it's going to keep doing these loops around. It's got very close on this first loop, but it's going to, it's going to get closer and closer and closer as it, as it uses Venus to drop down into the into a closer and closer orbits. Well, I hope its wings aren't made of feathers and wax, Matt. That's all I'm hoping for. <laughs> so yeah, so because it's only three million miles away, it's going to be it's going to it's going to be able to analyze these particles rather than us trying to analyze the particles from ninety three million miles away. And so we should have a pristine measurement of the corona and try and work out what the absolute hell is going on with the coronal what heating the problem. Deuce? Well, there we go. So that oh, blind. Yeah, well, I've got news of two other NASA spacecraft. Not good news. Go on. Kepler has just oh, yeah. is going to get switched off. It's run out of fuel. Oh. So it's been it's been flying for nine years and it's been a, in a pretty weird orbit as well so it's it's in an earth trailing orbit a very very far mm. away that's it it's run out of fuel there's absolutely no way of refueling it and it's going to get switched off uh and of course oh. it, it really has been incredible it's been great though, 2600 isn't it? planets discovered i mean that's just phenomenal um amazing but luckily we have tess the transiting exoplanet survey satellite that uh, was launched recently, and that we do that is going to replace uh, Kepler, and of course James Webb will also be out there soon, doing an even more bang out job. We hope Jamie bites his fingernails. But by coincidence, another spacecraft has also ran out of fuel as well, and that's you're going to say Dawn. I am going to say Dawn, and that spent eleven years orbiting uh, Vesta and Ceres. The uh, large asteroids, or really uh, 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 small planets. Dwarf planets, for God's sake. Dwarf planets. <laughs> Dwarf planets. Matt, have you ever woken up at the crack of dawn? I haven't. <laughs> dawn spacecraft wakes up at the crack of Ceres. Matt, what's happening with China? <laughs> so we've had a, a first attempt at an orbital launch by a commercial company in China. Unfortunately, nice. it failed. So land space. Ah. Land space. A Beijing startup. Its third stage of its Zhuqi One rocket that launched from Zhejiang Satellite Launch Center in the Gobi Desert failed, unfortunately. So it didn't quite reach uh, orbit. But unlucky dudes. Some very good photos from Virgin Orbit as they've attached Launcher One to the 747 uh, for the first time in Long Beach, California. Mm. So that's really good news. That's that's looking good, and maybe, maybe Jamie, that's you and exciting, I will go it? and see it in two thousand and nineteen or two thousand and twenty, launching from Cornwall and being the first oh. space orbital space launch from Western Europe ever. I just can't wait. I mean, please let this happen and let it happen next year. Yeah, it's going to be. That would really be the best thing. Absolutely. Jamie, yeah. we've had some brilliant emails and some great suggestions, by the way, for future shows. We've got, to, we've got to do one on nuclear propulsion. We've had some brilliant emails about the abominations of uh, <laughs> of bagels as pastry. We have. We've had. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, don't mention your breakfasts again. It causes too much upset. Oh, God. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. 
and we've had some... my my cinnamon and raisin bagel slammed <laughs> by our by our New York listener. <laughs> so I loved it. I loved it. Um, I still st- still enjoyed the bagel. Yeah. I, <laughs> shall we finish with some fun space fun fun space sun facts? Let's do it. Here's an interesting one. The sun rotates in the opposite direction to Earth. Oh. Sun rotating from west to east instead of east to west, like the Earth. Is it like is it like in Australia when the uh... The toilet flush goes the other way. What's that called? Um, it's called uh, the Coriolis effect or something. Maybe. That's it. Yeah, I, think I don't so. know. I can never remember. I can never remember whether that's an urban myth or not. Um, the sun is travelling at two hundred and twenty kilometers per second in its oh. orbit around the galactic centre. That's fast. And it takes about two hundred and fifty million years for it to complete one orbit, going at that speed. 220 kilometers per second. However, the galaxy itself, the whole Milky Way, is uh, is is caught in a tug by the great attractor. Not Jamie Franklin, another great attractor. <laughs> it's my kind of tug. <laughs> and so we're hurtling towards that, the whole Milky Way, at 370 miles per second. So even faster, but even faster still, the local group, our entire group of galaxies is moving towards something in the constellation of Hydra, which is pretty scary, and that's going at 600, fast? 600 kilometres a second, or 1.34 million miles per hour. Oh, whoa. So add up all those different speeds, and God knows how fast we're all moving. I look forward to the email, Matt, when someone says, oh, well, if we're moving that fast, how come we don't fling off the side of the planet? But they have got a point. <sighs> Well, they have got a point. How come my hair doesn't move? To quote an old German colleague of mine, your haircut is like, he's combed his hair with a shotgun. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Jamie, let's thank our patrons. Thank you very much, patrons, all of you out there that have been helping with the show. Bless all our patrons. We'll get a proper shout-out next week. Makes us able to do this. It makes us able to uh, continue spouting this absolute nonsense to you and we thank you from the bottom of our cause i've also linked the patron to reddit today i don't really know what i'm doing there so um uh, bear with us it's not really done yet i'm just fiddling around to work out how to kind of Ah. get it up and going so if you've got any suggestions for that or even if you you want to run it like be my guest uh so let me know and let uh, anyone want to do some admin for us yeah just just get just dig in I'm happy to 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 hand over uh, something like Reddit. I, I'm scared of Reddit. I, it's like you you make a, you make a comment and then you get like crucified. Anyway, Jamie, yeah, what should people do if they want to uh, help out in other ways? Well, I'd hop over to iTunes. That mm-hmm. that would be my first point of call. Give us a nice review. Um, because you know what, Matt, it's not just a nice review for our giant egos and they are bloody giant. They're like red giant egos. Um, it means that people can find the podcast more easy because we go up in the search categories. Oh yeah. Uh, So that'd be the first thing. And then the next thing I'd do, are you on Instagram? Like all the cool kids, why don't you give us a follow? Why don't you give us, uh, uh, um, why don't you give us a like on Facebook? I mean, I'm just saying. Jamie, I've got an idea, by the way. Um, Go on. It, we both have to post an Instagram uh, picture every day 
but we're in okay. competition of who can do the funniest post. All right. And uh, our listeners can decide. Just let us know by liking or which one was funnier. I like a bit of competition, Jamie. I think it, it, it's healthy. I like a bit of competition. It's healthy. Okay, let's do it. So over the next month, that's what we'll do. One a day, okay. You've been listening to the Interplanetary Podcast. Putting, Putting the, the ace, ace back, back into space. Thank you very much, Spodcats. You've been marvellous. And I hope you've enjoyed basking in the light of our sun. Cheers, my little space bagels. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.